Well, to, uh, last week we went through Judges uh, 17, <coughs> and I intended to go through 18 too, but it, just, it was too much. So um, we, we titled the message last week, Living in a World of Confusion and Decay. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> uh, it's a confused world, and it's definitely decaying. Um, someone came in earlier and said, oh, I just got done watching two, uh, two hours of the news. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> but it motivated me to come to Bible studies. Well, that's good. You know, that's a good thing. Um, there's a lot going on in the world today. And so we do need to be in prayer and asking God to uh, touch the hearts of our leaders in our country and even in the world during this time. But um, last week we, re- we, we told you that the closing chapters of Judges tells us uh, very clearly of a time, and it's, it's stated again in verse 1 of chapter 18, in those days there was no king in Israel. And when there was no king, the rest of the verse in other places says, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And that's the kind of world we live in today. They put God on the shelf. They don't want to have anything to do with him. Take him out of the school. Take him out of everything. Um, and they, they attempt to take them out of churches. <laughs> kind of crazy, but they do. There's a lot of churches out there that aren't teaching the truth. And so whenever you do that, you remove God, you end up with two things. You end up with confusion and decay and, and just a, a spiritual rottenness in the hearts and souls. And so we, we have a, a time here in Israel, and it relates to us today, a time of moral, religious, and political failure and decay. And so last week we looked at a couple things and I just kind of reviewed this real quick. We said that God established three institutions in our society from the very beginning when he, when he created um, the world. And they were this, the, the home, right? Adam and Eve, they had home. Um, the worshiping community, they walked with God daily. Uh, today it would be the church. Um, and also the, the human government. And he created all three of those. And when you take systematically God and remove him from those three uh, institutions that God had ordained, um, you're going to have problems. And that's what we see going on all around us. And so back in chapter 17, we said, first of all, we saw a spiritual decline in the home, a domestic spiritual decline. And we talked about confusion in the home. And There's much confusion in homes today. You know, there's confusion over what makes a home. You know, it used to be a mother and a father had a child, and that was called a home, right? I mean, you had a a family. But now, no, that's now now you don't need a mother or you don't need a father. You could just have two mothers or you could have one or you could do it however you want. You know, they don't really care anymore. Um, And there's confusion over what the family is. And so you see this domestic spiritual decline and we we saw that last week and we saw signs of a dysfunctional family and there was three of them and we saw that there was deceit and theft in the home the guy stole silver from his own uh, household and there was no parental correction in the matter and then thirdly there was no parental example and whenever you have a, a home with a mom and a dad and a child and there's deceit and theft and no parental correction and no parental example, example you have problems. You're going to have problems. And so 
we moved on from there and we looked at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 17 and we said that there was a, a do-it-yourself man-made religion they came up with. And so we said, well, first of all, you had confusion in the home, but then you had confusion in ministry. And we saw where in verses 5 and 6, Micah made a shrine and, and did all this stuff he's not supposed to do. Uh, it's crazy. But that's what's going on today. You have churches that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing the, the complete opposite. And, you know, it's kind of like Israel. When God entrusted the word of God to his people, the nation of Israel, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to to spread it, right? Disseminate that information, the truth of the word of God. What did they do? It's mine. <laughs> and they held on to it. So God had to say, okay, you know what? If you're not going to do it, I'll find somebody else to do it. And so he did. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing that unfortunately happens today. And so back then they had this man-made religion they came up with. And then in verse six, we saw that there was a disregard for God's word. Um, that's the verse in, in those days, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own mind, his own eyes. Uh, they didn't care what God had to say about anything. And then the last thing we looked at last week was verses 7 to 17, where we said their de decisions were not spiritually motivated, but they were motivated by what? Money. They were, they were motivated by mammon in verses 7 to 13. Well, tonight we're looking at verse chapter 18. And uh, I just ask you to follow along in your Bibles. We're going to read through this complete 31 verses, and then we're going to make some comments on the text. So grab your Bibles and follow along as I read the text for us. Um, Judges chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. They wanted a land. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from uh, Eshtahol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. Sounds familiar. You see this a lot in the Old Testament. Go check out what's going on out there. It says, and they came to the hill country of what? Ephraim to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. And when they were there by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice, interesting, they recognized his voice, of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here, and what are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey which you uh, go uh, is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw people who were there and how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone, verse 8. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtal, their brothers said to them, what do you report? And they said, arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land and behold, it is very good. 
And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. This land is spacious, for God has given it into our hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. Verse 11, And six hundred men of the men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah to Ashtahal, and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. And on this account, that place is called uh, Mahane Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. Verse 13, And they pressed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and they came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish came to their brothers. Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah. And they asked him about his welfare. Now, the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone out to scout out the land went up and entered, and they took the carved image, they took the ephod, and the household gods, and the metal object. While the priest stood by at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war, verse 18, and when these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household gods, and the metal object, the priest said, said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man? Or to be the priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image, and he went along with the people. So they turned and they departed, putting the little ones, the children, and the livestock and the goods in front of them. And when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you? that you come with such a company. And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away? And what have I, le- ha- what have I have left? How then do you ask me? What is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household." Then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and he went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting. And they struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their successor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. 
And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests. This is, this is Micah's high priest. This is where we're given his name. His sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now remember, Micah uh, basically wanted a, a priest. And this Levite was out wandering around in his neighborhood where he shouldn't have been. Uh, the Levites were in charge of the temple. That he should have been where the temple was. But as we said last week, apparently the people of Israel had grown cold in their spiritual commitment, and so they weren't really supporting the temple much with the offerings that they were supposed to be because these Levites, remember, they had no land. They were, they were basically just given um, to the service of the temple. And there were some cities that were provided for them, but it was kind of like they, they had nowhere to call their own. They were to hang out at the temple and serve the temple, serve the priests in the temple. That's what they were called to do. And uh, so he had no business. This Levite in chapter 17 had no business out wandering around looking for a new job. That's not what he's called to do. But he ended up in this hill country of Ephraim. And Micah found out that he was a Levite. And just because you're a Levite doesn't make you a priest necessarily you have to have the the uh from the house of Aaron but it's important to understand that um Micah basically hired this guy to be his priest and you know sometimes uh, just because someone hires you to do something doesn't really make you worthy of that task you know, I mean, I could ha- need my car fixed and I could come and give you, you know, $1,000 to fix my car. Just because I hired you to fix my car, it doesn't mean you have the skill to do it. All right, well, here, Jonathan, this, this priest, let him know that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a Levite. And, and he could probably tell from his accent. That's how the other guys found out who he was. And so he had a peculiar accent from a certain region over there. And so they realized really quick. And, and Micah thought, hey, I'm going to utilize this guy for my own, my own household. He's going to be my own priest. I'm just going to hire one. It's like somebody that would say, you know, I don't need to go to a church. I hired my own pastor. You know, he comes to my house every Sunday. You know, uh, that, that wouldn't be biblical, right? I mean, you, nobody would say that would be right. And so it's, you have this confusion over these things. And so you start here in chapter 18, and you see this confusion and, and decay. Um, God should have been the king in Israel. That's what his role is. But guess what? They rejected that. <laughs> they didn't want God to be their king. So then what did God do? They wanted someone over them, so he raised up these judges over a period of years to rule when there was a need. And he raised up these judges, but then the people would grow cold against them and they'd fall back into their sin. Remember that cycle we talked about in the book of Judges? They, they sin, Israel sins, they forsake God, they sin, they, they are convicted, they come under um, per- persecution, they repent, God is gracious to them, and the whole cycle starts over again, you know? Uh, and unless we're too hard on Israel, it's the same thing in our lives, right? I mean, you know, sometimes we confess something, and then, wow, a week later, we're confessing the same thing, right? Because we're not perfect. 
Uh, we're, we're just sinners saved by God's grace. But here, it was just this vicious cycle. And see, if the people had forsaken their idols, and if the, if the elders of Israel had really consulted God's word, God's truth to them, and obeyed it for God's glory, they would have been governed successfully by God. But they weren't willing to do that. It's just like this country. If this country would just stop all this nonsense and go back to basic principles that it was founded upon, you know, it, it, it would be tremendous. But it's not going to happen. And so here we find this situation coming up where every man does what is right in their own eyes. Because there is no, what? There is no king. There is no king over them. Uh, I'll read this for you because I found this interesting in a, in a commentary. It talks about God's kingship. And it says, if people view God as their king, then they must view themselves as divine servants. Servants follow the king's interests, not their own. They follow the king's plans, not their own. Servants know and obey the king's law. They are not free to do as they see fit. Servants fear the words of the king. They do not misconstrue or, or misapply his words. Servants do not presume that they have the king's favor when they are non-compliant to his law. If God's authority is ignored, one may think the grass looks greener on the other side or that it might, uh, or that might makes right, kind of like the, the Danites here, one may become intoxicated with achieving success or reputation, like the Levite priest in their story. Or one may manufacture costly gods for oneself, like Micah. On the other hand, if God's authority is embraced, one can patiently trust God and experience true joy and contentment even in the midst of difficult circumstances. See, that's, that's where we want to be as believers. We want Christ to be our Lord. We want to serve our God. And, and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what we want on a daily basis. It matters what God wants. You know, that's why the Bible says, that's why Jesus says, hey, if you're going to take up your, if you're going to follow me, what do you have to do? You have to take up your cross daily. Cross. What is cross? An instrument of death. <laughs> it wasn't something fancy you wear around your neck. It was an instrument that you used to kill somebody with. And he says, and deny yourself every day. Then, Jesus says, you're able to follow me. Then you're worthy to follow me. And, and that's the whole point. And so Israel wasn't, worthy to, wasn't willing to do that. They didn't want a king. They didn't want God as their king. They just wanted to create their own situation. And so they fell into this pattern once again here of just a mess. And there's various sins that your outline here um, outlines for you. But the first one here is in verses 1 and 2, and it talks about the sin of uh, covetous. covetousness. And, and the, the tribe of Dan, they descended from, from, from basically from Moses, okay? And so they, they or I mean from uh, Jacob's fifth son, and it's, it's important to understand, they weren't a large tribe, Okay, Dan wasn't a large tribe. Uh, they were 
given land by God. You can read about that uh, back in um, uh, Joshua chapter 19. God gave them as a tribe. He said, here's your land. Go conquer it, and it's yours. Well, what did they do? They weren't able to go and conquer it. They looked at it. They sent the spies out. They looked at it and said, well, these guys are too fierce. So they said, well, we don't want what God wants. You know, God gave this land to us, but to get it, we've got to conquer these people that are there. We don't want to do that. So guess what? We're not going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to go parade around the land and see if we can find something easier to take. And so they, they denied what God wanted. And so they decided to go north and to relocate, look for something simple. And most of the other tribes were able to conquer their enemy. They dispossessed them and claimed the land. But the Danites, this group, the small group, they they always were coveting somebody else's land instead of, of, of doing what God told them to do. And so the Lord had assigned the tribal allotments under the direction of Joshua back in, in Joshua 19. And he does, he does the same thing. It, it says God did the same thing even with the world and, and the nations in Acts chapter 17. I thought this was interesting. Verse 26, Acts 17, verse 26. Here's what it says. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Interesting. And so he did with the tribes. God put each tribe where he wanted it. And for the tribe of Dan to, to tell God, no, I, we don't want that. It's like if God told you, you know what, here, I want you to go take this job over here in this city. And you just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go look for a job in the other direction. <laughs> All right? That would be what? It would be willful disobedience. Right? And so... Dan, re- Dan rejected, the tribe of Dan rejected God's assigned territory. And what were they doing? They were coveting somebody else's. And God had already planned this out. So they're really trying to override God's, God's will. And that's really what causes a lot of problems in our own society, does it not? Um, instead of submitting ourselves to God's will as individuals, what happens? People want what somebody else has. They're not satisfied with what God has given them. They want what somebody else has. And a lot of times they'll do almost anything to get it. Um, that principle is pointed out for, to us in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verses 1 to 3, it says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are you guys fighting so much? He says... Is it not this, he answers the question, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, you have all these desires at war in your own heart. And then in verse 2, it says, you desire and you do not have. So guess what? You murder. (laughs) You got what I want, you're not going to give it to me? Well, I'm going to take it. And if I have to kill you, I'm going to do it. It says, you covenant, you covet, and you cannot obtain. Verse 2, James 4. So you fight and you quarrel. That's what the Danites were doing. You do not have because you do not ask, James points out. Oh, you're asking? You ask and you don't receive? Well, it's because you ask wrongly, James points out. Because you're just wanting it to spend it on your own passions. You know, it's like somebody that goes home and 
I'm going to ask God for what the desire of my heart is. You know, I want a brand new Hummer. Lord, I'm just praying. Lord, I, in Jesus' name, I claim this new Hummer. And then you wonder why it doesn't show up. Could God give you a Hummer? Of course he could. <laughs> All right? But the mere fact that that's, you're spending time in your prayer <laughs> praying for such a thing is, is kind of silly. And I think we all recognize that. Um, the corruption that is in this world is fed, it's fed by evil desires. And those evil desires exist all around us. Second Peter verse 4 of chapter 1 says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, listen, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having it escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. 2 Peter 1.4 The corruption in this world is here because of people's sinful desires. And those sinful desires are all around us. It doesn't matter whether it's people producing pornography, whether they're selling drugs, whether promoting gambling, whether they're just money-hungry people, you know, catering to human desires. You know, they, they want to make money, and, and they don't care how they do it. Um, I saw an interview one time with, with someone who's very wealthy individual, and he was in the pornography business. And they asked him, aren't you troubled by what you produce and the heartache and the pain and the, just the vileness of everything? And his answer was very clear. Hey, that's what people want. And if I can make a buck, give it to him, I'm going to. He didn't care. He didn't care. And, you know, thanks to the power of the media, especially television, you know, the advertising industry creates in us these appetites for all sorts of, of things. And they're not all bad things. But, you know, whether it's, these new products that are coming out, services, experience. You know, it's like I just watched a, uh, somebody send me the thing about the Apple promotion the, the other day. So I watched part of it. I'm like, okay, what's, what are they going to come up with this time? You know, I can guarantee you, I'd bet a million dollars it's going to be bigger, it's going to be better, and I'm going to have to have it. You know, by the time I'm done watching this thing, I just need that. And, and that's what it does, right? It just sucks you in. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you, you carry around these things. And so, oh, is that, is, that a, is that a 13? Is that a 14? What, what, what do you got there? You know, we're just so focused on these things. And we forget that, you know what? <clears throat> if we got called home to be the Lord, with the Lord, or if driving home, I was killed in an automobile accident, this is not coming with me. <laughs> it's not, you know? And so we need to just be reminded there's nothing wrong with using technology. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. I'm not saying that. But you have to be careful when the nice things have you. <laughs> and it becomes your desire. And so people go out and they spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people really, who really don't care. <laughs> people don't care. And that's the cycle that we live in. And so here, if the elders of Israel would have just put a stop to the men of Dan, if they would have stepped in, because they really abandoned God's assigned place, 
And they, they should have said, hey, wait a minute. No, we can't go anywhere else. God told us to go over here and to take this land. That's what we have to do. And we have to trust God that he's going to make us victorious in that. Like all the other tribes have done. Why are we special? Why do we get to say no? But unfortunately, the elders didn't stand up. And they abandoned God's assigned place and they headed north to kill innocent people and basically steal their land. That's how strong this sin of uh, covetousness is. And, and once people get kind of an appetite for something more, that's what advertising, that's what marketing does. It creates that appetite. It's difficult to control them. It's difficult just to stop. I mean, can you imagine how many people freaked out, would freak out if, if, if Tim Cook from Apple came out and said, you know what, we're done with the iPhone, we're not going to make anymore. Thank you very much. What? No, there's got to be a 14. There's got to be a 14 coming out. He's just joking. Nope, we're done. <laughs> we're done making computers. We're, we're <laughs> it's boring. I mean, people would have meltdowns. So we have to be reminded, you know, that's what happens, though, when you take your eye off the ball, when you take your eye off the Lord, really, and be focused, start focusing on things rather than the one who has blessed us with all these things to enjoy. Um, so we see here that in, in those days there was no king in Israel and they were seeking for themselves an inheritance to dwell in. God gave them one. They didn't want that one, so they went somewhere else. And they began to wander around. And then they, in verses 3 to 6, we see here some, some interesting, they, they hear Jonathan's accent, who's this priest that Micah had hired. And, you know, the, the, their world back then is no different than ours today. If you live in the South, you talk a certain way. If you live in Pennsylvania, you talk a certain way. In certain parts of Pennsylvania, if you're from Philadelphia, if you're from whatever. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. And it's the same way back then. And so they, they realize, hey, wait a minute, this guy doesn't sound like everybody else around here. And look at what it says in verse 3. When they, were, they went to the house of Micah, they lodged there. And it says there that um, in that area, and they were... Uh, by the house of Micah, when they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and they said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing here? Why are you? It's almost like they're surprised he's there. Why? Because he's not supposed to be there. That's why. He, where's he supposed to be? He's supposed to be in the temple, helping the priests with all the, the temple duties. But no, he's out wandering around. Okay. Um, he didn't speak like the other men in Ephraim. And when they asked this Levitical guy, <laughs> he called himself a priest, was doing what he's doing in the private home here in Ephraim. What are, you, what are you doing here? It was a very, very good question. God asked that question a lot in Scripture to different people. You know, uh, what are you doing here? Where are you, Adam? You know, I mean, he, he's asked several people in the Old Testament this question. It's, it's a good question. Um, and he tells him the truth. I mean, if you, you give the guy credit at least, they ask him, why are, you, why are you here? And what's your business here? And he said, oh, this is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me. That's why I'm here. I'm a hireling. That's what he is. He has no sense of calling. He has no sense of spiritual guidance. 
This guy had money and said he would give, me, give it to me if I was his priest. doesn't matter. I'm not a priest. He doesn't know. So I'm just going to put on the priestly garments and act like a priest. If he's willing to pay me, why not? I mean, back at the temple, they weren't paying me very good. See, he lost his perspective. This happens a lot. Not just back then, it happens a lot today. It happens a lot to people in ministry. Men who've given their lives for the cause of Christ. And what do they end up doing? They end up chasing the almighty dollar to another church. Or maybe they go chase a a crowd of people somewhere. Well, that church has got more people and they want me to come, so therefore I have to go. (laughs) Sorry, but I'm going to leave now. God's calling me away. And they they spiritualize it. You know, and it's, I'm not saying it's it's not legitimate 100% or uh, some of the time, but it's not legitimate all the time. That's for sure. Most or the, I think it was Mario who said that the average stay of a pastor in a church is 18 months or something like that. And that's the way it was all my ministry. I mean, growing up, it, the average stay of a youth pastor when I first became a youth pastor was, I think, 12 months. Why? Because you'd go to a little church and they'd have 10 kids and you'd grow that 10 kids to maybe 20 or 30 kids. And then another church in the area would say, hey, you're do- what are you doing over there? Why don't you come over here and help us? We'll pay you more. We have nicer facilities. Okay. <laughs> See you, kids. And, and they would just leave. I never did that. They pretty much had to kick me out every time I left the church. But, but you know, that's, that's how it went a lot of times with people. And so here they're, they're saying, hey, he's just saying, hey, they hired me to do a job. You know, since somebody else was paying the bill, hey, let's, let's utilize this guy. The, the, the spies thought, hey, this guy's a spiritual guy. He says he's a priest. Let's ask him about our trip. So they ask him for spiritual counsel. They ask Jonathan. And what does he do? He tells them exactly what they want to hear. Uh, it doesn't say that Jonathan inquired of the Lord about anything, does it? No. It doesn't say anything like that. Uh, it just says that, you know what? Um, they wanted to ask him this question, and he, he answered them. He said, oh, yeah, go, go on your way. Your trip is, is before, before the eyes of the Lord. And that, by the way, is not necessarily a, um, uh evidence that, that he's saying God is kind of blessing this. Uh, I think it's in Proverbs I think it's in Proverbs somewhere. Um, it says, you know, your, your way is before the Lord. In other words, the Lord sees everything. That's, that's what I think he was saying. I don't think he would have legitimacy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll be victorious in your battle. The God has just told me that. Because what happens if they weren't victorious? He'd have 600 guys probably coming back and hunting him down saying, hey, you gave us false information. This way, he just kind of gave him a general, yeah, 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 go your way. You know, uh, not a problem. And so you see here, go, he says uh, in verse, verse uh, uh, five there, inquire of the Lord, inquire of, of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. 
And he doesn't answer that question. The priest said to him, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God's watching you. I mean, that's, I, mean I would have been in fear if somebody would have said that, you know. But that's basically what he said. But, you know, they're not really spiritual here. So they didn't understand what he meant, apparently. And, uh, you know, I don't think God would have revealed anything to this guy anyway, because he wasn't really literally even a priest. And so let's see where this, this goes to. The, the, the Danites here decide to look for other territory that they, they failed to, to possess. And some of the spies, they come, they, they, they spot this Levite, and they begin to uh, manipulate this guy. And it says there, in verse 7, then the five men departed and came to Laish. They went on their trip, and they saw the people who were there and how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians. That's, that's basically, it means they were Sidonians who dwelled here in, in Laish, but they were away from the bigger group of Sidonians. They were kind of off by themselves. And it says they were quiet, unsuspecting, lacking nothing, just kind of simple people enjoying life. And everything that they had there in the earth, they possessed wealth. Because they were out in the middle of nowhere, and nobody else was competing for it, so they, just, they were very blessed to be there. And they were far away from the Sidonians, the, the bigger brothers of all these guys, and they had no dealings with anyone. So they were kind of a little independent group out there. Verse 8, And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Esau, their brothers said to them, What do you report? And what do they say? They say, Arise, let's go up against them, let's get going. We've got to take this land. It's not like the land God wants us to be in. It's not like the land that God gave us where we've got to actually fight for it. These guys are a pushover. And you can kind of see them patting themselves on the back. Yeah, we knew this was a better choice than what God had for us. Um, that happens a lot of times in life, doesn't it? I, I, I can't count the number of times someone has come to me for counsel. Hey, I'm trying to make this decision, and you know, here's what I'm: marry this person, or do this, or do that, or you know, buy this house and move there, or do whatever. And you give them the counsel, and you can tell the moment the words leave your lips, it's probably not what they want to hear, and they don't heed the counsel, and they keep on seeking counsel until they find somebody that agrees with what they want to do, <laughs> and then you run into that person two years, three years, five years later. And you just shake your head. It's like if, if you just would have heeded the counsel, you wouldn't have been in the mess that you've been in. But see, people don't always do that. And it's, it's, it's hard, but that, that's what happens. So here, they were away from the Sidonians. They were, they were kind of a, just a ripe... A ripe thing. So here they, they said, hey, let's, let's go. Let's go get these guys right now. Behold, it's very good. And will you do nothing? Verse 9, do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. And as soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. So they're just giving the report, right? The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. They're probably thinking the priest even told us so, which he didn't. <laughs> he just said God is watching a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 
what happens. Verse 11, they basically take 600 men of the tribe of Dan. That's, that's a pretty good group of people, right? 600 men. Uh, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtahol, and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called uh, Mahane-Dan to this day, or city of Dan, whatever. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. Verse 13, And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. So they're, they're basically retracing the same steps that the spies took, right? They're just retracing their steps. And the spies probably lead them along. Then the five men, verse uh, 14, who had gone to scout out the country of Laish, said to their brothers, do you know that in these houses where we're camping right now, there are, there's an ephod and there's household gods and a, a carved image and a metal object? You know, that, that's, that's plunder. That's, that's, we can use this. Now, therefore, consider what you will do. Verse 15, and they turned aside there. So they made a quick little detour off the freeway. <laughs> They're going to Laish, but they said, hey, you know what? There's, we were over there, and we talked. That's where we met that spiritual guy. And, you know, they had some neat stuff in the house. We might, might want to make a little stop here, pick this up on the way. We could definitely handle these people. Verse 15, so they turned aside there and they came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and they asked him about his welfare. So they re-engaged this guy and they're at the gate. Now the 600 men of the Danites armed with their weapons of war stood by the entrance of the gate. They didn't all come in, right? I mean, that's 600 people. That's a lot <laughs> to this little place. So, you know, they, they stood at the gate and hey, five spies, you go, you go check it out. And so they, they went in. It says, well, they went into Micah's house um, and they took the carved image and the ephod and the household gods and the metal image. And the priest said to them, you know, they, they go in, they take it, and they come back. And the priest is standing at the gate. Hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? I didn't say you could go steal this guy's stuff. What are you doing? Because he's thinking wait a minute, this is my livelihood. The priest is, right? I mean, this is my, my, the guy who's paying my salary to be his priest. Now you're stealing his stuff and it's expensive stuff. Verse 19, and they said to him, keep quiet. No, just shut up. Put your hand over your mouth. Don't say a word. I mean, remember, he's got 600 guys with him, right? So it's 605. <laughs> He said, keep quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. They didn't kidnap him, by the way. It says, and be to us a father and a priest. And he's probably, he's, you can just see this priest standing there thinking, hmm, what does this mean? Are they kidnapping me? Am I going to be their slave? And then they pose the question, is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? Remember, this guy's a hireling. That's, that's, his, that's what he responds to. Bigger is better. More money. Wow. Definitely. Not a problem. Verse 20, 
And the priest's heart was glad. Think about this. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Micah himself had some issues, right? I mean, he stole from his own family. So he's a thief in and of himself. But here, the priest is being kind of blessed, you could say, by Micah's household. He kind of took him in. He's out wandering in the countryside. And he said, oh, I'll pay you to be my priest. Okay. You know, come on in. Come on in my house. We'll give you a job. All right. And they sacrifice and they give this, this priest a job. And they're paying him. They're taking care of him. They're feeding him. And somebody else shows up and says, hey, we'll give you more. And by the way, we're going to rip off the guy that's paying you right now. Hopefully you don't have a problem with that. And where's he going? The priest is just thinking, well, what's in it for me? Oh, you're not going to be a priest of just one guy now. You're, you're going to have a whole clan. You're going you're, you're to be a bishop. I mean, you're, you're not just going to be a pastor of a little church. You're, you're going to answer the call, and you're going you're to be over the whole convention now. Wow. Really? And he was a hireling. In other words, he was there just for the money. That's all that made this guy tick. He wasn't there out of a sense of calling. So how, what was his heart? Verse 20. His, the priest's heart was glad. That shows you the depravity of his heart, does it not? I mean, just think about that. I mean, if someone came into your house and ripped you off, and you found out it was the person that you were helping, and you were allowing to live there, and you were taking care of them, they ripped you off, and then they, they, they only left because someone else was going to give them more money. I mean, how would you feel? You'd feel used, right? You'd feel ripped off <laughs> you feel well this is not right you know it's weird when you when when something is taken from you illegitimately i don't know about you but i get angry you know it, it's frustrating i watched on the news the other night some musician from australia was in san francisco and he had just spent four days shooting all this video for his upcoming release of his album or whatever. I don't know what he was doing, some musical stuff. He had all his video equipment in this big SUV, black SUV. <laughs> and him and his crew stopped for an hour lunch. And they parked the car right outside the restaurant on the street in San Francisco in broad daylight. And I think they were even eating on the sidewalk there, the patio. Because the guy said, yeah, all of a sudden we heard this smash. And he said that he turned around, and there's a guy smashing out the back of my SUV. And there's another guy just hauling the stuff away. And this is a guy from Australia, right? He's like, this ain't right. So he goes, and they're, they're basically, by this time, running down. And he chases them down, kind of, and confronts them. And they pull out a gun, and they say, you want to mess with us? You know, in Australia, they don't have guns, so <laughs> it just blew the guy's mind. Like, really? You're gonna, it's not worth dying over. But... Afterwards, he said, you know, the, the most heartbreaking thing is I lost all the video footage that we just worked on for four days. <laughs> Paid all this money for all these people to do all this stuff for me. Now it's all gone because all the video cards were in the cameras that they stole. And he said he probably lost $50,000 worth of stuff or whatever. Crazy. That's just wrong. My wife and I found out the other day that someone used one of our ATM cards and just went crazy with it. Uh, apparently had gone through a drive-thru and I forgot to get the card back or whatever. I don't, I don't know how it ended up where it ended up, but, I mean, to the tune, I don't know, six, seven hundred dollars. 
were the stuff. I mean, they went to Macy's, they went to Marshall's, they went to Chevron, you know, they filled up probably three or four cars, 40 bucks a pop, you know, I'm thinking, wow, you know, they'd go in and they'd put a dollar and it would go through and then they'd come back and you know, $45 worth of gas or whatever, went to Target, they went and, you know, we found this out like a day later, luckily the bank covered it all, but, you know, when you're on the phone with the bank in that circumstances, you know, it's like, well, what are you going to do about that? I could do anything about it. I mean... Part of me, the investigator in me, wants to go, you know what, I'm going to those places, and I want the footage, and I want to see who's using my card. You know, I'm going to hunt them down and find them. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but, you know, that's what I want, because you know they're just going to get away with it. And when you get ripped off like that, it's frustrating. Well, guess what? Guess who gets ripped off? Micah, the thief. He gets ripped off. And so it says here, verse 20, his heart, the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image, and he went along with the people. Hey, not a problem. Man, you're going to pay me more, get more people to be over, make me look more important. You know, I'm looking for prestige. I'm looking for privilege. That's, that's, the worst thing you could be looking for. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's a real bad situation. You know, and, and, and sometimes we have to stop and we have to, we have to ask ourselves, wow, you know, are we that far in our own hearts sometimes? You know, um, do we look for places where we can assert our privilege, where we can assert ourselves? Um, I think at times we all go there. You know, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. Sin is very dangerous. And, um, you know, and this is what idolatry, this is what self-promoting false teaching does to people. It, it basically creates a heart of lust for more. And they're never satisfied, no matter what. And uh, here the, these people... He's going now with these people who are basically going to go and murder and take over this town of innocent, completely innocent people. And yet he calls himself a priest. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. Verse 21, so they turned and departed and putting the little ones in the livestock because that's the safest place and the goods in front of them because they know they're, these guys are f- going to figure out what they just did and they're probably going to be chasing after them, right? So we'll put the kids and all the important stuff up front so at least we can hold off the, this, this group of people if they show up in verse 22. And when they had gone a distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out. In other words, obviously Micah figured this out. Wait a minute, where'd my priest go? Where, oh wait, where's my little idols that I made for the Lord? You know, uh, where, where is all this stuff? So they were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. In other words, they chased them down. Verse 23, and they shouted to the people of Dan, hey, wait a minute, where are you going with our stuff? And what did they do? They turned around and there's Micah right out in front. They asked the question, what is the matter with you? I mean, it's kind of like saying, have you lost your mind? It's like chasing somebody 
down after they broke into your car and they point a gun in your head. Oh, okay. <laughs> Reality check. Go ahead, take it. You want anything else? <laughs> right? Micah had a reality check here. What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, I, I give him credit. He kind of stood up at first, right? To all these guys. You take, listen to this though. You, you take my gods. Think how that sounds. You take my gods. Gods that I have created. How dare you take my gods? And the priest that I ordained. I hired this guy. He's my priest. You can't take that priest. And you go away. And what have I left? What have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so obviously wrong, this whole situation, right? But that's how sin is. You know, it's like someone comes up to you and rips you off and they run around the corner only to be ripped off themselves, right? And they go to the police. And I've seen this. I've seen this on Cops on the show. I've seen somebody go into a, a police station, say, hey, I just got ripped off. Okay, what was this? Oh, you know, I was, I was over on the, the alley, man, and I was, I was uh, what would they take? Well, I, you know, I had a bag of meth, you know, <laughs> I just bought it, and they ripped it off. And the cops start laughing, like, are you an idiot? You're coming in here telling me that you had drugs, and they got stolen from you, and now you want us to do something about this? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But that's kind of what, what's going on here. Micah the thief is complaining about others stealing from him now. And then he says, uh, the people of, of Dan said to him, uh, you know what? pal, you might want to just tone down a little bit. You might want to just realize what's going on here. Don't let your voice be heard among us, among 600 of us men who have weapons of war in their hands, lest angry fellows fall upon you. And guess what? You're probably going to lose your life, but then also the lives of your whole household is going to be wiped out. You don't know who you're dealing with, pal. That's basically what he's saying. In verse 26, then the people of Dan went on their way. <laughs> That's what they do. People like this. They go on their way. I'm sure the guy that ripped off the guy in San Francisco is not, he wasn't in bed later that night going, oh man, I feel really bad over this. No. No conscience. Sin has blinded them. That's how bad it gets sometimes. And that's why God has to, when he saves us, he has to recreate us. Because we're all there outside of Christ. That's where we all are. We may not be breaking in the cars or whatever, but our hearts are desperate and evil and, and, and completely wicked. And the moment you think, oh, I would never do anything like that, that's, you better be careful. Yet by the grace of God, there go I. You know, we're quick to judge others. You have to be careful, just like, you know, Micah's doing here, like, oh, wait a minute, you stole my stuff. Then in verse 26, 
They went on their way, and Micah saw that they were too strong for him. And he turned, and he went back to his home. It's interesting that these people of Dan are the same people that when God told them to go inherit this land and, and kick out the inhabitants and deal with it, they went and they said, oh, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like now that they're picking on these people that basically are, are easily overpowered, then they're all bad, right? Um, so it says here, the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged belonged to him, excuse me, and they came to Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting. I mean, just think about it for a moment. These people didn't do anything to anybody. They're quiet people. They're, they're hardworking people. They have all their blessings. They're just got their little families there, whatever, and what do they do? These people, because they, they want what's not theirs and they're being disobedient to God, struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And the idea is he, they devastated they just wiped him out completely. No conscience. I mean, do you ever think about, I mean, in some countries in the history of the world, how some of these leaders have just slaughtered not a hundred people, tens of thousands, millions of people, innocent people. I mean, that's how wicked, that's how vile a heart can get. And that's what was going on here. Verse 28, and there was no deliverer because it was far from sight. In other words, th- these people didn't have any help coming. There was no, uh, nobody showing up. And they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley that belonged to Beth Rahab. So they basically got rid of all the people that lived there. They rebuilt the city, lived in it. Hey, this is pretty nice. No conscience whatsoever. Verse 29, and they named the city Dan hoping maybe that would kind of hide what went on there. Or just rename the place after the Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. So you have breaking and entering, robbery, intimidation, violence and murder. And you come down to verse 30 and 31 and you have finally idolatry and the people of dan set up the carved image for themselves and jonathan that's the priest the son of gershom the son of moses and his sons so it's it's going to make a family ordeal out of this a professional priesthood i guess on their own the pretty good digs for them um they weren't called by god to do this they just did it on their own but they were priests to the tribe of the danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Verse 31. So they made, they set up Micah's carved image that he made. I just love it every time they say that he made, he made, the God he made. Isn't that what people do today? You know, they take the legitimate God, the God, the, the Lord Savior of Christ and the God creator almighty and they, they, they get rid of him. But what do they do then? They just recreate another God, little g, in their own heart that they're going to worship. Whether it's 
literally a god they're bowing down to, a carved image, or whether it's the almighty dollar, or whether it's prestige, or whether it's wealth, or whether it's self-esteem, whatever. There's all kind of gods out there that people choose to serve. They set up this carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now remember, we said Shiloh's a far away from where these people are at. That's where they would worship the Lord. That's where the ark of God is, is far away from them. That's where it was. <clears throat> and because it was <clears throat> far away, what happened? They decided, well, you know what? Rather than travel all that way to worship God the way God instructs us to worship him, we're just going to create our own little temple here <laughs> with some carved images. And, you know, they represent God anyway. So let's just do it our own way, our own self-made religion. Idolatry, that's what idolatry is. And it doesn't matter whether it's a carved image or whether it's a church saying, you know what, from now on, we're not going to have church here. We're just going to do it on a video screen somewhere and, and we're going to call it church, even though it's really not church. That's what happens. Because it's easier. It's more convenient for people. <clears throat> blah, 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 blah. You can go down that, that argument all day long. But I think what's, what's so interesting here is that Micah, the thief, is the one that gets ripped off and these 600 Danites call him out on it and he really he has uh, no recourse at this point. And it's sad because people today live by a couple different philosophies in the world. Three, basically. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. <laughs> and what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. Well, the Danites were where? They were number two. <laughs> what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it, period. Um, and that's what they followed. And, you know, when you see our society today, and the whole, everything that's woke around us, all this garbage that's going on how are they empowered i mean what gives them the right to break into a storefront and burn it and take whatever they want well you know what you don't deserve to have it so i'm going to take it this is this is where we live today and there's a new kind of violence that's been kind of coming into our world over the past several decades and it's, it's not just a, uh, a violence that's um, a means to an end, but it's almost a violence for recreational purposes. I mean, people are being violent just to be violent. I mean, just you can go on, online and look at videos. You know, New York City, other big cities, you know. Poor little granny just went to the market, and she's just carrying her bag of goodies home. And you see the kid coming up behind her just cold cocks her right in the side of the head, knocks her down, right in the gutter, and then he kicks her. And sometimes they don't even take anything. It's like, who, who would do this, right? I mean, but that's the kind of world we live in. I mean, they get pleasure out of this, inflicting pain, not on somebody who deserves it, but on somebody who's completely innocent and harmless. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really, really sad 
And I think part of it is coming from the movies that people watch, television industry, all that stuff has been promoted through that. But violence has become really a, a source of pleasure for a lot of people. I mean, you watch some of these, um, what do they call the fighting they do now? <laughs> they put them in a cage. Yeah, to, yeah cage fight. I mean, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch sometimes. You watch it and you're like, wow, this is kind of gross. I mean, these guys just plummet each other till. I mean, the other one basically can't function anymore. And there's blood everywhere, and, it's, and people are cheering. It's like, wow, this is crazy. And so you have to stop, and you have to say, wait a minute, this, something's wrong about this. You know, it's in the human heart. You know, even though, hey, well, you know, that's capitalism. You know, if they have a right to do that, yeah, that's right. But, you know, I, I'm always reminded of Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof, what? It always leads to death. It always leads to death. And so you never have to, don't ever underestimate the consequences. Even as a believer, of taking Christ and, and, and not acknowledging his lordship in your life. Taking him off the seat of lordship in your life. In other words, you know what, God, yeah, I know you saved me, but I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Don't ever underestimate the consequence of a church that takes Christ off his rightful place of leadership within that church and replaces it with a human being. Don't ever underestimate the consequence of placing your own self-will and your own human wisdom and decisions over those that God calls you to do and to make. Um, what's interesting, and if you, if you read through First Chronicles, you'll find that when the tribes of Israel are listed there in the book of First Chronicles, and the families of Israel are given, the only tribe that's not mentioned, guess what, is Dan. They're not mentioned. Why? Because God would not take what God because Dan would not take what God had given to them. What'd they do? Instead, they took a land that God had not given to them. He had given it to someone else. And in the process, they lost all that they had. And potentially, all that God would have given them. When you break out of God's mold and you say, no, I'm going I'm to do this on my own. I'm going to be a spiritual cowboy, and I don't care what God says. Um... We know that's true with Dan because God gives us a glimpse into the future in Revelation chapter 7. And there we see 144,000 Hebrew believers who during this time carry out a special ministry of, of the, the gospel of God around the world during the tribulation period. There's 144,000 Jews basically who are out by the hand of God doing things. And guess what? The tribes, they list what tribes these 144,000 people come from. Guess who's not mentioned? Dan. Nobody from the tribe of Dan. They're completely ignored. Why? Because they refuse to follow God's mission in God's way. They chose an easy way. Therefore, God refused to give them this special ministry of blessing in the future. I mean, that's a wonderful lesson for us to understand. 
You know, it's, it's, it's not good enough to have godly ancestors. It's not good, good enough to have godly forefathers or denominational forefounders in our family or whatever if you're not a man or woman of God yourself. It's irrelevant who your relatives are. It also shows, really, this, this story shows the danger of putting people in leadership positions because of who they're connected to. You know, here's, here's this Jonathan, this priest, this, this kind of do-it-yourself priest, and he's a, he's a relative, you know, of, of Moses. That's pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, he's got a connection there. And it shows the, the potential that, you know what, um, this, this, is, this is very, very dangerous ground there they're uh, trotting on. And if all you're living for is your material goods, you're going to lose out one day. Because one day, you will not be alive to enjoy your material goods. I mean, I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. But I'm saying this, you'll go to heaven a pauper. I'll close with this illustration. George Truitt was a longtime pastor of uh, First Baptist Church uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas. And he was invited to a dinner at the home of a, a very wealthy man who made his millions and millions of dollars in oil. He was an oil tycoon. And after the meal at his home, the host led him to a place where they could get a good view of all his property surrounding this palatial estate he had. And he pointed to all the oil wells that were across the landscape. And he said, 25 years ago, I had absolutely nothing. Now, as far as your eye can see, all that is mine. He told the pastor this. And then looking in the opposite direction, they walked around the porch and they saw the sprawling fields of grain on his property. And he said, all that is mine. And then turning eastward on his property, he looked at all the heads of cattle. And he bragged, all those are mine. And pointing west, there was a beautiful mountain forest. And he said, all that's mine too, pastor. And he paused, expecting Pastor Truitt to compliment him saying, wow. And the pastor, in a very loving but firm way, placed his hand on his shoulder. And he pointed to heaven. He said, how much do you have in that direction? <laughs> and that's a good lesson for us. How much do you have in that direction? We need to be Reminded of that. And, and hopefully this really causes us to look within to our own heart. There's a little melody that says, There is sin in the camp. There is treason today. Is it mine? Is it me? There is cause in our angst for defeat and decay. Is it, O oh Lord, in me? Something of selfishness, garments of gold. Something of hindrance in young or in old. Something why God 
doth his blessing withhold? Is it, O Lord, in me? Is it in me? Is it in me? Is it, O Lord, in me? This is why John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this example of um, your judgment, your grace in this chapter. And Lord, we pray that we would never fall uh, to the extent in our own lives that these, these children of yours did. I mean, the idea that they slaughtered a whole group of people just to take their property and what they had because they wanted it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see in the light of your word today that this is just blatant idolatry. Help us to repent in our own hearts first, to seek again our first love, that you may be Lord of our own lives, Lord of our church. And Lord, we'd love to see many come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And we pray that we would work to that end. We pray you bless each heart here tonight. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, Amen.